we are people of the book, and isn't it neat when you're a part of a Bible-believing church that we just take our Bibles, like believers before us have for hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of years, and I'd like for you to turn in the Old Testament portion of your Bibles to Psalm 130 as we continue in the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 130, a song of ascent, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Not long ago, I was cleaning out something in a storeroom and I came upon a spiral-bound notebook that happened to be one of the notebooks from my seminary training here at RTS. And so, you know, I was uh, outside and I was, I was flipping through this and it was very interesting to, to see what I was being taught at that time. And I was kind of transported back into that classroom and I'm so thankful for my, the godly teachers that I had in seminary. But what was even more interesting about the spiral-bound notebook were the notes that I was writing in the margins about my own life. I kept making a run, didn't realize I did this, making kind of a running commentary on how I, what I was thinking and how I was feeling about a lot of things. And uh, on the, the back of a particular uh, lecture, uh, there was a long paragraph, almost in bullet form, about all the reasons my life was tanking at that time. And, uh, and I was going through a hard time, uh, including the, the pain of the loss of a relationship, including the, the pain of the nature of my job prospects, um, which through some very difficult providence were not looking that well at the time, and, and then just the reporting of some really depressed feelings. And, and, a, and a written prayer, and a prayer for God to help me. And uh, it's interesting to, to find something like that, isn't it? It's interesting to, to kind of peer into your own life. And, and I was definitely at that time in what the psalmist in Psalm 130 calls the depths. The depths. Now, you know, uh, it's kind of like our, our high school, and I'm not, being, I'm not downgrading those of you in high school or college, I promise you. But it's kind of like when they say, I'm so busy. And you're like, right, you know, I have so many difficult, difficult issues. You're like, yes, you do. Because we feel them 100%, don't we? I mean, whatever we're going through, we feel it 100%. But I can tell you, I, I've got, I could write a small book since that time. Maybe a large book about being in the depths. You know, I think, what I mean by being in the depths they are a part of life in a fallen world. And Psalm 130 takes us to the depths and beyond the depths. If I were to put this, this passage in one sentence, I would, I would put it this way. And I'd like for you to write this sentence down. Life 
is deep. But God is deeper still. Life is deep. But God is deeper still. Life is deep. You and I, all of us, know this. Verse 1, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And being in the depths is a metaphor. It's a metaphor of being overwhelmed. It's it's a metaphor of, of going through something you're not exactly sure how to handle it. Literally, the word there refers to being in the depths like of an ocean. Being where the waves are coming uh, across you and, and you're about to drown and you cannot keep your head above water. You're overwhelmed. And, and we understand what that meant, what that means. And, you know, the Israelites were not a, a seafaring nation. And so terrifying to them was the ocean and the idea of drowning and, and the, the waves. In fact, when Jesus really wanted to test the faith of his apostles, what did he do? He got them in a boat. And got them in the middle of a storm and they were face to face with the depths. And they were going to, going to perish. But uh, we understand what it is to be in the depths. I think you know, uh, if you've ever lost a parent, you understand the depths. If you've ever lost a sibling, you've been in a very deep place. If you've ever lost a marriage by the death of a spouse or if you have lost a marriage by divorce. This is a very deep, deep place. If you've ever lost a child, that's the depths. If you've ever lost a friendship, you know the struggle. You know how you felt. If you've ever lost a job or you didn't get the job you wanted and somebody else got the job that you wanted, you know that that feeling of of depression and overwhelm and depths. If you've ever lost your health, then you know about that chronic experience of the depths. Funny about health is we don't really understand how precious it is until we lose it. And there are chronic depths. I could go on and on. I mean, I'm just talking, I'm just framing it in terms of loss. We could frame it in terms of all kinds of relational issues, all kinds of challenges, all kinds of things that we face because we live in a fallen world among fallen people and we find ourselves overwhelmed by lots of things and lots of situations and lots of accumulations over the years that begin to overwhelm us. So the question this morning is not whether human beings and human beings that know the one true and living God will be in the depths. The question is, where are you going to go? Who are you going to go to in the depths? And the answer with the Psalms is God. Now, I appreciate my Old Testament professor, Dr. Willem van Gameren, who put it this way. He said, I find myself in a mess, in the depths, in a mess, and I awaken to how deep the mess is. That's what he's saying. So, you know, we're all kind of going through stuff. But there are times when we kind of awaken and we say, whoa, this is deep. This is overwhelming to us. He says, I awaken to how deep it is. And then I awaken correspondingly to how much I need God. The psalm not only teaches us our deep need. 
But it teaches us how God is very eager as well as able to meet our need even more sometimes than we are to go to Him with our need. You see, uh, there are people who who don't want to need God in their lives. And, they, and all of us have been through situations where we're, we're going to handle it. And we're going we're to control it. And, and, and we know what to do. And we're going to put it on us. We don't want to need God. Do you need God in your life this morning? Life is deep. And that's why the people of God sang the blues together. That's why this is a, a hymn in the hymn book of Israel. You know, the Psalms, it means the praises. It's the hymn book of Israel. This is the blues, folks. It's a song that begins with the blues and, and it ends with, with being transported to a better place. So, look, let's don't tell each other to deny the fact that we're in the depths. Let's don't always have to have plastic smiles on our faces. Let's actually bring what's real to the living God. Let's don't live in denial. Let's sing the blues together as the Israelites sang. In fact, this is not only a part of the hymn book of Israel. This is a part of the Psalms of Ascent. These were the songs that they sang on the road, coming out from the little hamlets in their caravans and, and joining with other people on the main roads. And they're singing all these songs in preparation for worship as they go up, literally ascending up in altitude to Jerusalem toward worship, that a big part of how you prepare your heart for worship is to be honest with yourself and say, this is what it is. And out of the depths, these depths, I cry out to you, O Lord, life is deep. But secondly, God is deeper still. It's kind of like when we build this sanctuary just to the south of us here. You know, we, we have this dreaded thing called Yazoo Clay uh, in our area. And, and we had this out in Colorado as well. And you just, you just can't level the ground out there and, and, and put a sanctuary, can you? Because what will happen, you know, the, 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 the floor, you'll be able to roll a marble, you know, all across like a roller coaster on the floor. And the walls will crack and... And the foundation will become whatever it becomes. So what do you have to do? I mean, you might have to drill some pylons down to really anchor in that, that clay and beyond that clay. But a lot of times what you do is you do what's called an overdig. You know what that means? It's like, you know, you've got to go down a certain amount to put a foundation in. So what you need to do is you need to dig way around that and much deeper than that and put really good material for a foundation. That's like God. He's deeper than our problem. He's the foundation. He's the good soil. He's the one you can count on who loves you. Who are you going to go to in your depths? God is deeper than our depths. Verse 1, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Now, it's important to see something here. And if you're reading along in the English Bible, you kind of have to look. There's, if, if, you look at, if you look at this for a minute, take a look at this passage. And you might want to, if you don't have a Bible, you might want to pull one in the, the, the row back in front of you there. Because in, in, one, in that one paragraph that I just read, there are two names for God and they are intentionally stuck together. So if we're going to look to God in the depths, we need to see who this God is. And, and there's this wonderful juxtaposition 
of the names Yahweh and Adonai. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Yahweh. That's capital, all caps, L-O-R-D. That is the relational name for God. Yes, He is who He is, lives in the everlasting present tense. There is none before Him or after Him. But He is the God who has promised. He is the God who is always there that you can count on. This is the covenant name, the relational name. I call to you, God, because you're the one who cares. And right after that, O Adonai, hear the voice of my pleading for mercy. Adonai is Almighty God. So you put this together, you're in the depths, and you, you, you kind of are learning from the psalmist. And he says, To you, O loving, relational God of the promise, who will never leave me or forsake you, me. God Almighty, I call to you. Meaning that the psalmist isn't just interested in a fix. He's interested in relationship. The first word is Yahweh, not Adonai. That this is a relational thing. And in fact, uh, uh, Derek Thomas did some great work. He has a little book on, on the Psalms of Ascent. He said, do, do you notice something? In fact, I called him this week and told him I was going to use this in the sermon. He was very pleased, I might add. Um, if you know him, you'll get that joke. Um, did you notice something very interesting about verse 2? He asked. It says, this is relational, not just going after power. It says, hear my voice. And then again, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. In other words, he's not just giving his list. It's not just the pleas. He says, listen to the voice of my pleas. It is as though, I continue to read... It is as though the psalmist is saying, I want you, Lord, not only to hear my words, I want you to hear my voice. I want you to hear the tone of my voice. I want you to feel the anguish of my soul as I look to you. I'm in the depths. I feel it 100%. And Lord, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. See my pain. You're my Yahweh, who is God Almighty. You're the one who loves me. I want you to know how my soul really feels. And it's a wonderful thing to be really heard, even by another person, and understood, even by another person. There are people who walk around all the time that are rarely heard or understood. And God is a person. And He rules and reigns and He's a redeemer and a lover of our souls and not just the fix-it guy. Not just Adonai, the God of power. You see, what's happening here is the psalmist, rather than detailing all the things that need to happen, and God, would you please do this, the psalmist is basically like a child crying out to his father. Father, I need you. I'm in the depths. I need you. I need mercy. I mean, look, a, a little child falls down. He skins his knee. He's got an he's got a, a open wound in his, in his knee. He goes to his father. He doesn't say, I want to tell you all about my knee. He says, hold me. I need you. 
And, and the mama will say, for, for because they're very nurturing, the mama knows just what to do with that knee. This is kind of the feel of this psalm. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Yahweh, the, my relational God, who is the one who is all-powerful. And you know, 21st century man tends to be lonely. We tend to be lonely even though we've got so much information flowing from so many different people in our lives. We tend to be cut off from other people and, and, and we are rarely feel like we're understood. Really understood. Who are the people in your life that really get you? Because they've listened, because they care and they listen to you and they, they understand you. And 21st century man is very lonely and cut off from understanding and then doesn't want to even need God. This is so sad. Cut off from people, cutting myself off from God. I'm going to look everywhere but God. I'm going to fix it myself. I'm going to go find the answer as opposed to the person that God wants to be to me. And so often you and I want to just find answers, don't we? Something happens, we're going to find the answer. Something happens, we're going to get us a strategy. We're going to fix it. Well, that, that, I'm not saying it's the wrong strategy. I'm asking about where our hearts go in the depths. It's so sad when we don't go to God in our slow turning pain. Because we miss the transaction that is what humanness is all about. God and man together in God loving us. God caring for us. God providing for This is the basic transaction of what humanity is about. God creates man. God provides for man. God loves man. God redeems man. And we miss out on this knowing that you're loved knowing that you're understood and knowing that there's going to be help. And that is one of the key moments of human life right there. Scott Jose, who is a professor at Calvin Seminary, said the, the most interesting thing. He, he was kind of mocking a little bit the way our attitude toward our depths are. And I want to quote him. He said, I checked the titles currently in print by Dr. Phil. You can tell where this is going. I checked the titles currently in print by Dr. Phil. Listen to these titles to see what they tell you about how folks are feeling these days. And I would add what they're doing, what their strategy is when they're in the depths. So here are the titles that, that he unearthed. Uh, life Strategies, Doing What Works. Okay, you're going to love these. Uh, he's not making these up either. Doing What Matters. That's a little better. Relational Rescue. Self matters. It's getting worse. Creating your own life from the inside out. You got to love that one. You know, we're saying you create it from the outside in. You know, from God uh, outside and, and then from then the inside out. Creating your own life from the, out, from the inside out. And then finally, self-discovery, finding what matters most. And, and this guy, Scott Jose, uh, is hilarious. In fact, I actually emailed him and asked, how do you pronounce your name? And this is how you pronounce it, Jose. It's not spelled that way. He goes on to say, uh, re-quoting Psalm 130, out of the depths we cry to you, Dr. Phil. We cry to you, Dr. Phil. 
People are groping, and I'm reading the quote, people are groping in the darkness for an explanation of why they feel empty and inadequate, but looking inward will not help. No, you know, Dr. Phil is going to help you. He's going to liberate you to find the champion inside. Every answer you need is right here inside of you. Don't you know that? And how do you live without Dr. Phil and everybody else who teaches you all the secret ways to unlock the answers that you already have and you don't need God? It's not going to work. It leads to emptiness. It is the fast lane to emptiness. It is the fast lane to depression. Deciding on your own what matters and what works and what will or won't help. You, you're deciding. Go, going on a journey of self-discovery won't help you because inward focus leads to just more of you. If we don't know what's wrong, and if we're not willing to look at what's actually wrong, how will we ever get help from God? And that's where Psalm 130 leads to next. It's in answer to this question. Why would a perfect, holy God be attentive to the cries of rebellious sinners? That's a great question. Why would God, three times holy, even pay attention to people who are always rebelling against Him? I'm talking about you and me. Not just people out there. And the answer is, from Psalm 130, that He is far more eager to forgive and far more eager to draw you to Himself and help you than, than you and I are to actually be honest with ourselves and cry out to Him. God is far more ready to help than we are ready to humbly seek His help and seek His grace. Because, basically, God has made a way for sinners. That's why. God has made a way for sinners. How sad it is to not take our debts to God. Verse 3, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Answer implied, nobody, because He's holy. But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared, Life is deep, folks. But God is deeper still. And we are fallen people. And we live in a fallen world. And I'm not saying everything you go through is because of your own sin, but it's a lot of it because of the sins of other people. If not your own, it's a mixture of all this stuff ebbing and flowing. And it's noetic. And it just floods the earth. And it is just how we live. It is who we are. And if you know, you've never, you've never in worship even offered to God and I have never offered to God anything truly pure because it came from me it's always tainted but God has made a way you see uh, God has made a way and he, he wants to embrace us as well as forgive us the word mark iniquities it literally means to watch to observe carefully to, to stare at your sins God doesn't do that. This is the gospel. God doesn't stare at your sins. And do you want to know why He doesn't stare 
at your sins. He is not looking at your sins. He's not marking them because He is looking at His own Son. He is looking at the one who has paid the price for every one of those sins. He is pleased with the payment of Jesus Christ on our behalf. The reason He's not marking your iniquities is because He's staring at His Son. And if you have put your trust in what Christ has done on the cross in our place, then you can come to Him. You can be embraced by Him. He can be that relational God to you. Now, I, admittedly, on the way up to Jerusalem in the Psalms of Ascent, they weren't thinking about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But they were thinking about the Paschal Lamb. They were thinking about that Lamb, that animal that was slain for the sins of the people. And rather than God looking at the sins of the people, He would look at the Lamb and it would cover over. But all of this pointing to Jesus who once and for all, the Lamb of God, perfect Lamb of God, made sacrifice and then sat down at the right hand of the Father and reigns and rules and gives salvation because He is resurrected and He rules to those who come to Him. He has the power to give full forgiveness. If you, O Lord, marked iniquities, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. That's how I know that He's listening to me and not just looking at my sins and repelled by me. That's how I know that He wants to understand me. That's how I know that I can trust Him and that He will take care of me. Psalm 130 says that in the depths we cry out to a God who cares and then we trust Him and we watch for Him and we wait on Him because He is our God and He will not let us down. You know, there's actually a word here. You notice the word watchman? The example is, I'm going to wait on God. You know, I've come to Him. I've cried out to Him. He's forgiven me. I belong to Him. And now, I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to wait on God. I'm like a watchman. This is the one place where we have a repetition. And in Hebrew, repetition means, you know, pay, pay close attention to this. I'm like a watchman who watches and waits. It's kind of a play on words because the word for watchman... In Hebrew, guess what it is? It's the same word as the word for mark. It means to stare. It means to observe very carefully. He's not watching my sin. I have His grace and that frees me up to really watch for His grace. To really watch for Him. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul, that's a, 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 talking about the totality of who I am. My soul waits. And in His Word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. You know who the watchman for the morning was, don't you? Now, we really don't have these in the United States. I guess we don't need them yet. But uh, back then, you know, you'd, you'd have a, a city wall and, or you'd maybe on a hill outside of a city, you'd always have somebody stand watch. And what is he looking for? The watchman in the dark. It's hard for him to see, but he is just, he's not going to go to sleep. There's a punishment for if you go to sleep, I think, if you're a watchman, right? So he's not, he's looking in the dark. Maybe it's a full moon. Now he can see, but he can only see as far as he can see. But there's danger in the dark. Why? Because that's when the surprise attacks are going to come. 
And so the watchman is watching through the night. And he's just hoping for the morning. And the reason we are a watchman is he knows the morning is going to come. He knows the night will be over. And I'm going to tell you, if you cry out to God with the voice of your soul in your pain, because you've been forgiven by God and you've trusted in Him, and He is your God, I want you to know the night might last a long time that you're going through, but there will be morning. I promise you. That is the promise of God. There will be morning. It may not be today. It may not be the day after tomorrow. It may not be a year from now, but there will be morning because God is mercy and He loves His own. you believe that? I don't know what depths you're in right now. I don't know who you're turning to right now. I don't know what strategies you're running in your life to try to make it through to cope. But do you believe Don't you want to cry out to Him? How sad when we're not honest with ourselves. How sad when we don't take the reality of our need and our pain to Him. Life is deep. But God is deeper still. There's forgiveness with Him and watching and the assurance of His love. So lastly... The psalmist says, so sing with me. Sing with me then, if you believe it. Let's worship God together. Sing with me about real hope that is in the Lord. Sing with me about real love, steadfast love, chesed love, covenant love that is only in the Lord. Sing with me about plentiful grace every day that's available to people who need God's grace. Sing with me about the fact that He will do it, not only for us, Individually, He will do it for His church. Verse 7, O Israel. See, this is where the, the one begins to influence the many. Where people going through their trials in the midst of God's assembly begin to be living examples of what this looks like. And, and, and worship comes from that, that influence. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. With Him there is plentiful redemption and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. This is about how we find God in the depths and by waiting on the Lord, others see and worship God. One of the reasons that all this do-it-yourself, independent Christianity, atomic, I'm just a little Adam, me and Jesus stuff doesn't work is we not only need God, we need one another. And the Psalms of Ascent are a great example of this. This wasn't meant to be sung between you and Jesus. This was meant to be sung in church, on the way up to church. We hurt, God. We hurt. And you've forgiven us, and you are there, and we will trust in you, and the morning always comes. See la. Sing with me. This is meant to be sung together for others to see and and to help in their worship, in their honesty, in their faith. One of the best little books for people that are going through the loss 
of a, of a child, a grown child particularly, is by Nicholas Walterstorff. I met Nicholas Walterstorff about seven years ago and heard a lecture by him um, up in New York. And uh, he wrote a little book out of his depth. Because about middle age, he hit something deeper than he'd ever hit before. His grown son died suddenly in a rock climbing accident. He was just gone. He just got a phone call. He's gone. Nicholas Walterstorff's a preacher, <laughs> theologian, <laughs> didn't know what to do with himself. And so, so he is struggling through these, these depths. And he wrote a book, and you can buy the book, I, I recommend it, called Lament for My Son. Lament for My Son. And, um, and he details this struggle, but, but he says something in the book that I think is very similar to what the psalmist is saying. He says, I struggle to go beyond merely owning my grief. Some people won't even own their grief. It's deny, deny. That's real healthy. And then some people deep in their souls say, I will never get over this. I will own it every day and my whole life will be defined by this grief. And Walterstorff says, he says, I struggle to go beyond merely owning my own grief. I want to own it redemptively. I want it to matter for me. I want my son's death to matter for my wife and my remaining children. I want it to matter for my church. Because God can show His redemption through these depths. He's saying, you see... That the goal of the depth isn't to survive. Now I know survival looks pretty darn good in some depths, alright? So I'm not down on survival. But the far-reaching goal is not survival. It is worship. It is the redemption by God's grace of these things. And it is for other people to see and worship and this is meant to be sung together. We need the Lord. We need to sing it together. And we can learn about the depths from each other and not feel alone. Isn't that wonderful? You sing this with me. You sing this with us. You will know you're not the first person that's ever gone through the depths. You will know there's nothing wrong with you. And we can learn about the Lord from each other and learn not to go it alone. We learn not to feel alone, and we learn not to go it alone. And we can worship together. We can hold each other up when we're falling down. Hold each other up before the Lord. Encourage one another about the fact that morning will come. But only through God coming to us and making a way through the cross and leading us to His committed love leading us to this table right now with your life and your depths, an opportunity to underscore forgiveness, your need of grace, and the fact that God wants to be with you and that morning is coming. So let us together go to the table and remember Him and be with Him. Let's pray. Lord, 
Would you meet us at this table, Jesus, that you instituted? You knew that we needed this. We needed to hold it. We needed to taste it. We needed to eat it. Would you help us to remember just how much you've loved us in the cross and what that means? Would you help us to be with you in table fellowship to commune with you? And would you help us to have the courage to actually bring forth the depths for your redemption, or at least the beginning of it? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.